Our scripture reading this morning is Genesis chapter 17, verses 1 through 27. You can follow along on page 8 of your bulletin. But first, please pray with me. Lord God, may the words of our mouths and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the name of Christ Jesus, our Lord, amen. Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, and I will make my covenant between me and you, and will make you exceedingly numerous. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, As for me, this is my covenant with you. You shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout their generations, for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land where you are now an alien, and all the land of Canaan for a perpetual holding, and I will be their God. God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you shall be circumcised when he's eight days old, including the slave born in your house and the one bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring. Both the slave born in your house and the one bought with your money must be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Can Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. God said, No, but your wife Sarah shall bear you a son, and you shall name him Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. 
As for Ishmael, I have heard you. I will bless him and make him fruitful and exceedingly numerous. He shall be the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house, or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, and his son Ishmael was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, slaves born in the house, and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. The word of the Lord. There are copies of the sermon available, and as soon as Sylvia can get to them, she'll start circulating among you. If you would like a copy, please get her attention. She's on that side of the church. Might want to call your attention to the way the text is laid out in the bulletin before I start. Friends of Jesus Christ, If you see the way the text is laid out, you can see that there are four distinct sections. And you can think of this chapter as a drama in four acts. Although this drama is not actually all that dramatic. It's mostly talking. God speaks to Abraham three times. The third time in Act 3, Abraham interrupts. So it becomes a conversation, but it's still mostly talking. Admittedly, God talking, but there's not a lot of action. Finally, something happens in Act 4, but really only one thing happens. Abraham and all of the males in his household are circumcised. This is one day in the life of Father Abraham. At the end of the day, Abraham's circumstances haven't really changed He has the same number of children, one, the same non-permanent home, a tent, the same amount of wealth, mostly measured in very portable and very vulnerable livestock, and the same 90-year-old wife, Sarah. And yet, on a deeper level, things have changed very significantly for Abraham. He's in a completely new relationship with God, a covenant relationship. That covenant relationship is expressed in four ways. It's expressed in the covenant names that God gives to Abraham and Sarah. It's expressed in the covenant sign of circumcision that Abraham receives in his own flesh. It's expressed in the astonishing covenant hope that God declares expressed only in a name at this point, the name Isaac, which means laughter. And it's expressed in the covenant face 
and obedience that Abraham demonstrates, that Abraham acts out when he responds and decides to enter into the covenant of circumcision. So let's go deeper into this drama. And as we look and listen, let's pay attention to the faith issues that this story raises because we're actually called into the same kind of relationship with God, the covenant relationship, the same kind of relationship that Abraham was called into. Our, our new covenant sign is baptism, not circumcision, but the contours of the covenant relationship are the same. Like Abraham, we're holding on to the promises of God and waiting for them to come true. And very much like Abraham, as we live out this covenant relationship, we also struggle sometimes to grasp what God is actually promising us and to do what God is actually asking of us. So let's go through the four segments of this narrative, the four acts of the drama, and let's follow not only where the story takes Abraham, but let's follow where the story wants to take us. Let's allow ourselves to be drawn in and shaped by this word. Let's see what kind of covenant embrace God might have in mind, not just for Abraham and Sarah, but for us. Let's begin at the beginning. Good advice straight from Lewis Carroll. God appears to Abraham, or actually to Abram, which is the name he has had for 99 years of his life. God speaks to Abram, I am God Almighty. I am El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless. And I will make my covenant between me and you, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. And then Abram falls on his face. That puts him in a listening posture, a reverent listening posture, and God continues to speak to him. A lot of what God says when God speaks is not really new, although it is couched in covenant terms. As for me, this is what I will do. But God has already promised Abram abundant offspring. God has already promised Abram land. Abram has heard these things before. But here's one thing we might pay attention to. The last time God spoke like this, Abram expressed some serious impatience with God. What can you give me? How can I know this? Abram doesn't interrupt God here. Why is that? Is it because Abram's learned to be patient? Is it because Abram has learned finally to trust God? Or is it because Abram now has an offspring named Ishmael? As we read through this narrative, let's pay attention to the places where Abram keeps silence and to the things that finally make Abram speak. The first time God speaks, as I said, Abram hears a lot of things he's heard before, but there is one important difference, we've heard the word covenant once before, but we haven't heard it this often, this powerfully, this centrally, and not in this way. God told Abraham in chapter 15, we studied it two weeks ago, I'm making a covenant with you, but it was a kind of a one-sided covenant. There wasn't reciprocity. There wasn't mutuality. It was a one-way street. One, uh, uh, on that day, God made a covenant with Abram and said to your descendants, I give this land. That's a unilateral promise from God 
to Abram, a one-way street. Abram really doesn't have to do anything in return. But here, the covenant is a two-way street, an agreement that is not unilateral but bilateral. I will make my covenant between me and you, or as the, the Hebrew says, between me and between you. That might just be the Hebrew idiom, but it emphasizes the, the, the binary nature of this covenant. God is elevating Abram to the status of covenant partner. And to signify that new status, God gives Abram a new name, a name that more fully expresses God's intention to more fully bless him. Abram means exalted father. And I'm sure Abram always found a certain amount of irony in his name. Abraham means father of a multitude. And God's blessings and promises in this passage are stronger and fuller than the blessings of creation. I will make you exceedingly fruitful. Very, very fruitful, the Hebrew says. God's promise is not just to bless the quantity of Abram's offspring, Abraham's offsprings, multitudes and nations, but also the quality of his offspring. Kings will go forth from you. And through all of this, Abraham lies on his face and listens to the terms of the covenant. But as I said, this covenant is a two-way street. And verse 4 starts with the words, As for me, and all the way to the end of verse 8, God is telling Abraham what God's part of this covenant is, what God will do for Abram. But verse 9 starts really a new speech and a new subject and the other part of the covenant. There's a fairly strong transitional marker in the Hebrew that doesn't come through quite clearly enough in our translation. And God said to Abram, Abraham, sorry, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring, after you throughout their generations. This as for you in verse 9 corresponds to the as for me in verse 4. It's kind of like contract language. But pay attention to the narrative language. Notice how slow and deliberate the narrative gets in this section in order to build a little suspense and create a little emphasis. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Now, normally I stay put here in the pulpit, but today I'm going to just act it out a little bit. Let me point out something interesting. If you, if you remember, Abraham was lying down on his face, listening to God. And if you peek ahead to the next section, to verse 17, God continues to speak. And there's another, and God said, break marker in verse 15. And Abraham falls again on his face. So here's my question. When did Abraham stand up? Do you think maybe it was when God said, every male among you shall be circumcised? <laughs> what? You mean with a knife? There? It's a little hard to talk about this in front of kids, right? But, and I know I'm maybe over-imagining the text a little bit. But 
We're supposed to think about this. We're supposed to use our imagination when we read the scriptures. We're supposed to think about this and what it means. And this very bizarre and bloody covenant sign is not a small thing. It actually amounts to another one of those kind of oaths that we call self-maledictory oaths that I mentioned two weeks ago that God took in Genesis 15. It's like saying, if I don't stay faithful to the covenant, let this happen to me. Let me be cut off. And that's the idea this section ends with. Any uncircumcised male shall be cut off from his people. God already took the self-maledictory oath. Now God is asking Abram, Abraham, the man of the covenant, the partner to do the same. This covenant is utterly serious business. This is a matter of life and death. So here's what you need to notice. Abraham still remains silent. He doesn't actually do what I did. I mean, he might have stood up, but he doesn't say anything. He doesn't talk back. He doesn't question it when God mentions circumcision. There's no in, in indication that he objected. He just kept listening. Silence, I guess, implies consent. But watch what happens in the third section. As the third act opens, and God continues to speak. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless, Sarah means something like princess. And I will bless her. And moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall give rise to nations. Kings and peoples shall come from her. So how does Abram respond to this great promise? Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Can a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Can Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Sarah plays a relatively small part in this chapter, in this part of the story. She's not on stage right now, but she's very much a part of God's plans, very much in the heart and mind of God, more than she seems to be a part of Abraham's plans and in his heart and in his mind. And that deserves more attention than I can give it this morning. But to God, this covenant doesn't just include Abraham. And the promises don't just come true for Abraham. They come true for Sarah and for Abraham and Sarah together. There's no covenant blessing that comes to Abraham that does not also come through Sarah. And in this story of redemption, one of the things that is being redeemed here is the idea of marriage and the co-equal dignity of a woman as God's image bearer. Ever since Adam and Eve, husbands have had a tendency to throw their wives under the bus. Adam, did you eat that? She, she gave it to me. It's her fault. Abraham often uses, if you know the whole story, you see this. Abraham often uses Sarah instrumentally as a political tool, as an economic tool. And when she doesn't instrumentally serve his purposes for bearing a child, he doesn't have much use or regard for her. 
God has quite a bit more regard for Sarah than Abraham does, and I at least wanted to point that out. And we'll get more. Sarah's going to get her turn to laugh. But this morning's story stays pretty focused on Abraham. What's Abraham thinking? God says to Abraham, you and Sarah will have a child. Abraham laughs. Why? What's he thinking? You know, thinking out loud what might have been an Abraham story. Maybe I could have done that when I was 86, but I'm 99 now. Sarah, don't even get me started. She, she never could make a baby, even when she was young. And she's 90 now. Don't make me laugh. That's what Abraham sort of thinks in his heart. What he said to God was, how about Ishmael? Oh, that Ishmael, this child I already have, oh, that he might live in your sight. And that's not a bad thing in itself. Ishmael was God's gift to Abraham. And God loved Ishmael. God intends to bless Ishmael. But Ishmael is not the child of the promise. Ishmael is not the heir and the covenant heir that God intends for Abraham. So God says no to Abraham. Not no to blessing Ishmael, but no to Abraham settling for less than God intends. And especially no to being content with being blessed in a smaller way than God is willing and able to bless. And that's what's really in Abraham's deliberations. What's God really able as well as willing to do? And that's what we have to pay attention to in this story. What is Abraham paying attention to? What limitations is he living within conceptually? How are his own human limitations and his own advancing age and Sarah's shaping his expectations? How is his frailty, his meagerness? How is Abraham's estimation of his own situation affecting his ability to trust that God can always do more than we can do. And God can always keep the promises that God makes. So God has this answer for Abraham. Yes, I will bless Ishmael, but my covenant I will establish with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear to you at this season next year. And when he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. And I don't know how long... The interval was between God going up and Abraham doing what he did next. But I imagine Abraham had a pretty full heart and a pretty full mind. The story doesn't exactly tell us what Abraham was thinking, though it certainly sketches out the contours of what it might have been. It certainly invites us to enter into that space of Abraham's heart and mind because Abraham clearly has to make a choice. He could just dig in to what he already has. He has a son. He has an offspring who could carry on the family line and the family name and the family hope who could make Abraham's name great. Abraham already has a son who came from his own body. He kind of engineered that himself. So maybe he doesn't really even need God's help anymore. Why go through the pain of circumcision for his household and himself? Maybe it's time to cut his losses with this God who keeps putting him off 
and making him wait and promising crazy things and now asking him to do crazy and painful things. Abraham has a choice to make. It's a package deal. It's all or nothing. It's embrace this new name and do something hard. Receive that sign of circumcision and something even harder, I think. You probably do too. To reach for and put all his hope in a promise that lies totally beyond his own power, his own imagination, his own grasp. To wait for an unseen, unborn son named <laughs> to be brought into the world by God from the womb of a 90-year-old wife named Sarah. Hey, how would an MBA crunch those numbers? How would they lay the odds for that in Vegas? How realistic do these numbers look to an ancient Near Eastern potentate? That's why we need to pay attention to Abraham's ultimately unreasonable act of faith. Then Abraham took his son Ishmael and all the slaves born in his house or bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house. And he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham goes all in with El Shaddai. And we need to pay careful attention to that. Because even though outwardly and materially not much happens in this chapter, on a deeper level what happens here is that Abraham's life, not Abraham's life not only changes and not only does his own relationship with God change in the context of this covenant, but this puts the whole human race into a new relationship with God. This covenant of circumcision is not only the sign of God's redeeming love, it is the instrument of God's redeeming love, the line that God is establishing with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants will eventually lead to the birth of the Messiah, Jesus Christ, and the salvation of the world. This covenant is an instrument of salvation. And the connection between baptism and circumcision is not merely an analogy, but rather an exact one-to-one -one correspondence between circumcision, both as the sign and the instrument, and the faith choice that Abraham and his descendants have to make from generation to generation to enter into and remain in the covenant, and baptism as the sign and the instrument and the faith choice that Christians make to enter into a new covenant made in the blood, not of circumcision, but the blood of Jesus Christ and through which we participate in redemption through his death and his resurrection. Christians, Christians can argue, and of course, as you all know, we do argue about whether that sign should be given to infants or only to believers. But at the end of the day, every real Christian, every true child of God has to embrace that covenant personally and not only take the sign but profess the faith. And not only profess the faith in words, but profess the faith by actions. Baptism is an act. It's not as painful as circumcision, 
But it's the same kind of all-in, self-maledictory, or at least self-denying thing that circumcision implies. It symbolizes our willingness and our need to share in the death of Christ in order to share in his resurrection. It is an implicit promise that, yes, Lord, I will die daily to my old nature, and I want you to make me new in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same sort of challenge for us to live that out, to live out the life of a baptized person as it was for Abraham to live out the life of a circumcised person. Do you look for a future that you can estimate, that I can predict, that we can control? Because that's what lies within our power. Or do we put our faith in a God who raises the dead and who promises to give us a life beyond this life? And where do you feel the gap between what you grasp with your intellect and what God promises you and asks you to take on faith? What things make you laugh or want to laugh? What do you hold on to or find that you can't let go of? I could never do that. I could never give that much. I could never forgive those kinds of things that happened to me. Faith asks us, to rely not on our own power and possibility, but to trust in a God who raises the dead. Let me close with this. Names are very important in this story. Even God gets a new name, El Shaddai. And in Genesis, that name is almost always associated with the, inter, the blessings of the intergenerational covenant that God establishes through Abraham. But in the book of Revelation... In those seven letters to the seven churches that Leslie's art represented, some of us saw last weekend, to the letter that Jesus writes to the Christians in Pergamum, he says this, to everyone who overcomes, I'll just say it by heart, to everyone who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give a white stone with a new name, known only to that person. You don't even know what your new name is yet, but the way you live is kind of writing those letters of that name on the white stone. And our calling as baptized persons is to live up to and live into that new name, which someday God will reveal to us. And in the meantime, here's what Jesus says. I am with you always to the very end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.